welcome to the Messy Antics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Messy Antics Podcast. This is Rabbi Toby, and I'm here with Rabbi Eric and Rabbi Jonathan and Rabbi David. And this is the season of Hanukkah. And that is what this episode is about. And Hanukkah is one of the interesting uh, feasts that we uh, celebrate in the Jewish community, Messianic Jewish community, uh, because it actually isn't one of the biblical Moedim or biblical uh, times or feasts that's mentioned uh, as far as mentioned as in God commanding it specifically. However, we do celebrate it. It's very important. Uh, It's based on events that happened uh, with the Jewish people, also outside the Bible, but that doesn't mean it's not in the Bible, because we do find that uh, Hanukkah is actually mentioned, of all places, uh, in the uh, Besorah, the uh, the New Testament, uh, in the Gospel of John, and uh, dealing with Yeshua. So um, we are talking about that and the significance of it, and 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 why we do that, and yeah. So yeah, let's go. So we celebrate Hanukkah, uh, the Feast of Dedication, also the Feast of Lights, Festival of Lights, uh, each year, and it falls uh, during the month of December, generally on the Greco-Roman calendar. Uh, it is a feast of remembrance, uh, similar in ways to except for the one miraculous year where we had Thanksgiving. Yeah, there I was. That. Yeah, and then <laughs> periodically there's uh, Christmahana Kawanzika that yeah. comes around sometimes. But you know, for many people uh, today, Hanukkah is seen as the Jewish alternative to Christmas. Yeah. Jewish Christmases, yeah, yeah, and a, a way for Jewish people to participate in. Um, the gift-giving, the cultural excess of the season. Um, And there are those who actually, and I've heard say, you know, Christmas, you Christians, you have one day, but Hanukkah, we have eight days. It's eight times better than... Eight days of gifts, eight days of presents. Eight days of gifts, eight days of presents, and and eight times as commercial as, uh, as Christmas. And for many people, their knowledge of Hanukkah, uh, especially for non-Jewish people, comes from things like Adam Sandler's Eight Crazy Nights and uh, different things like that pop culture stuff. And and they leave out very much like when you speak to somebody about Christmas, and and I think we've talked a little about Christmas previously, uh, that people say they celebrate Christmas to uh, to commemorate the birth of Yeshua, and uh, but then predominantly the ac- aspects of celebrating Christmas have nothing to do with that in the home. They may have right. some kind of service at their church or whatever, but largely at home, it's become very commercial and very uh, about gifts and uh, grandma got run over by a reindeer and things like that. In, in modern Judaism. Hanukkah has, in a large way, become very much the same way. It is a yeah, tacky uh, sweaters and right the the whole ups. the whole thing. Now, um, that doesn't mean that there's not value in celebrating the birth of Messiah. 
nor is that does it mean there's not value in celebrating Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication, the Feast of Rededication, a commemoration of the rededication of the Temple. Matter of fact, if there wasn't for Hanukkah, there wouldn't have been a birth of Messiah. There wouldn't have been a temple for him to go to on the Feast of Dedication. And with that, I actually want to set that comment. You know, Rabbi Eric just said that uh, without Hanukkah, there wouldn't have been uh, the birth of Messiah, right. uh, which then you know obviously uh, gives way to the discussion that without Hanukkah, the church wouldn't have Christmas as a way of describing that uh, in a very simplistic way. But I want to add the, the historical uh, picture to what Rabbi Eric just said, because a lot of people don't even realize the the actual historical reality of what Hanukkah commemorates yeah, versus and, the legend, yeah, yeah. which we'll also talk about during this yeah. segment. And so when, we, when we're looking at the story of Hanukkah, um, you, you can actually read uh, about it not in the Bible, as Rabbi Toby said, though it is mentioned in the Gospels. Uh, you don't read it as a commanded feast in Leviticus 23 or, or other places, um, uh, like we would for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, etc. But we do see Hanukkah in uh, uh, extra-biblical books, historical uh, deuterocanonical books, uh, the Book of Maccabees uh, references. Or, or tells the, really the story of Hanukkah and what happened, as well as some of the legend that goes with it. Uh, Josephus mentions it in Jewish Antiquities and discusses that. Do you uh, mean apocryphal some, books? Yes. <laughs> extra biblical. Like, Deuterocanonical. I was like, wait a second. That's extra biblical. Um, and so, well, I call it Deuterocanonical because of the fact that it is historical writing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So it, it fits in that category still. Uh, but yes, it is an apocrypha. It's extra biblical. Yeah, and this. And at, this feast, the, the events of this feast take place in what's known by the church as the 400 years of silence, right. where we're taught between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew that there was no supernatural involvement yeah. of God within the people of Israel. Or, or what's also called the intertestimonial period. Uh, the So we, in order to understand the the... the uh, development of the events that give us Hanukkah, we got to look back a few hundred years before that to Alexander the Great and the development of what became this monstrous Greek empire. Uh, and so Alexander the Great basically took over the known world for all intents and purposes. Uh, and part of that was that he had control over Syria, Egypt, uh, Judea and Samaria, uh, and, and uh, that whole area of the world. And he the the Greek Empire, especially under Alexander's control, was kind of unique in that Syria, Egypt, and Israel all had autonomy and were allowed or, or some sense of autonomy and were allowed to keep their own faith, their own religious practice, uh, and and they weren't kind of cracked down on to that regard. However, after Alexander dies, uh, ultimately, the Greek Empire breaks apart into four separate uh, kingdoms, uh, and the, the two of them kind of fade away into to history is really not amounting to much, and nobody really ever remembers them. But the two that were the 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 primary, the predominant remaining uh, kingdoms were the Ptolemaic, which is in the Egyptian area; they were based in e Egypt, and the Seleucid Empire, which was based in uh, Syria. And uh, these two empires literally battled for uh, centuries, it seems like, but for years on end over the territory of Judea and Samaria, particularly over Jerusalem, uh, back and forth over and over again. But nonetheless, you come to a period in time where the Seleucid Empire had control over. 
uh, over Israel. And Antiochus Epiphanes was the uh, the ruler of the Seleucid Empire at this point in time, and uh, was very much uh, unlike Alexander the Great. Was not uh, very nice to the the people that he assumed to control over. And so he pulled away the religious autonomy. He pulled away all that. He forced Hellenization upon Israel and upon the Jewish people. And Hellenization comes from the Greek word Helen, which just simply means Greek. He was forcing Greek ways and practice and, and uh, paganism upon the Jewish people. Uh, and ultimately, he ends up getting control of the temple, sacrifices unclean animals on the altar in the temple. Uh, and then we come to the Maccabees, particularly Judah Maccabee, who leads this revolt against the Seleucid Empire. And we'll get into the legend side of it in a bit. But you know, Rabbi Eric was talking about during this this period of this intertestimonial period, as it's often called, that the the opinion, the traditional view is that there were no miraculous, divinely miraculous events that took place in this period. It was the, the 400 years of silence. But the reality is, is this ragtag group of nobodies who weren't even really warriors in the sense of uh, of being an organized army or what have you, somehow held off and pushed back the largest and most vicious uh, military force of the known world of that day in a very miraculous way. Right, and actually it, what's interesting is their method for warfare uh, against the Seleucid Empire becomes the model for rebellious or anti-government warfare that goes on even to the american revolution they very much developed guerrilla guerrilla warfare warfare, right (laughs) the 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 battles in the american revolution were modeled after by the american soldiers were modeled after the rebels under judah maccabee fighting against the seleucid empire and the hiding behind trees the hiding uh, in places uh, and if you study the actual wars that go on in israel uh, because uh, they would go into caves and they dug out the caves so that when you went into the cave the cave turned to the right uh, and the reason for that was so that when the seleucid army would come into the cave searching to to fight they would have to make a right-hand turn, which meant your sword hand was not available to fight against you, where the Jews who were in the cave would have their sword hand available to fight as you came around the corner. So all of these methods of guerrilla warfare and and uh, situational warfare, uh, as opposed to lining up across from the enemy and marching straight ahead into them, were designed – uh, and, and formatted by Judah Maccabee and have been used ever since uh, in warfare against greater armies and uh, greater numbers. And I, and I want to bring up the fact that uh, you know, we always joke that within Judaism, uh, you know, the, the old joke is two rabbis, three opinions, that we never really agree on anything. We're always divided. And, and, and Judaism has always had its divisions, its denominations. I mean, we discussed uh, some of uh, uh, another episode about the, uh, the development of the Pharisaic and Sadducean splits and, and, and so on. And we can look at modern Judaism, Reform, Conservative, Orthodoxy, etc. Uh, and that was very much the case during this period of time as well. Uh, 
and so you had uh, the Hasmoneans who were this uh, kind of hyper-religious, nationalistic uh, uh, group of Jews, and then you had the Hasidim, not at all related to Hasidic Judaism today. Uh, the, the Hasidim uh, were the pre- predecessors to the Pharisees. They do not have a connection to modern Hasidic Judaism, but they were very uh, devout, very intentional in their faith, and so on. And the, 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 the Maccabees uh, brought the Hasmoneans and the Hasidim together in, in unity to fight against the Seleucids when and they would have never talked much less. Right, and it was not only the, the uh, Hasidim and the, uh, the, the Maccabees, the Asmonians, but they were fighting against not only the Seleucid, but also the Hellenized Jews of the yep. day that had assimilated into Hellenized culture. So it was not only they were fighting against the outside, but they were also fighting against the inside, very much like we're dealing with in society today and have throughout history where the body of believers uh, not only has to fight against outside uh, forces, but uh, to a large extent has to deal with the Hellenization or the uh, culturalization and appropriation and adaption of believers to accepting uh, modern culture and and things that are outside the Bible. Yeah, none of that happens um, quickly. You know, we all uh, I, and I love the story of Hanukkah, but oftentimes when it's told, it's told in such a way where it's like the Seleucids. You know, uh, it was you know this sort of this quick. You know, they they forced. You know, mm-hmm. the Greek culture uh, on everyone that, you know, the Macedonian Empire had spread under Alexander the Great and they just put everybody under the thumb. You know, you got, you got, you got to learn Greek and, and you, you, we're going to force you to get rid of the Torah. Now, they did eventually outlaw the learning of, of, of the study of the, the Torah and of many of the Jewish traditions that they were practicing in Which the is where we get the tradition of playing dreidel from, yeah. which we'll talk about a little later. Yeah, but the thing that was was Alexander the Great – and many of his advisors had established as they went schools of Greek thought. So it wasn't you. You know, it was sort of like um, it, you know, if we were to come through a different part of the United States where there were no messianics, and we were to establish a Hebrew school for you know, let's say even just K through six, you know, just get kids learning Hebrew, learning a little bit about uh, the Torah and what it means to you know walk with God according to how God has you know laid it out uh, before. Um, Israel at Sinai, and then you know, so those kids go to school. They spend eight, you know eight hours a day in the classroom uh, with uh, a rabbi, learning Hebrew, learning the Torah, learning the traditions for how to keep the Torah, and then they go home. Well, now all of a sudden, the parents are faced with, you know, let's say they're good, you know, good, good Baptist parents are now faced with children who are now like, wait, wait a second, you want to you want to stay home. And you want to go worship on Saturday? What is you know? What is it? Wait, you don't want to eat the bacon I made for you for breakfast? What are you What are you talking about? This is like we've been doing this for you know your entire childhood. What's going on? And so the same thing is happening in uh, Judea. You have the you know Israelites being influenced, particularly the younger generations, by these. Hell, you know these Hellenistic schools, learning Greek language, learning Greek culture, um, spending time in the gymnasium, you know, which is you know both a place of philosophical learning and a place of physical exercise. So they're you know learning how to be uh, athletes and you know, getting involved with the, the different sports and the Olympics. Uh, and, and this is even well, I'm pretty sure Paul even addresses this. Uh, you know, there were Jews uh, because when you did athletics back in the day, you did it without clothes on. Because you know the clothes were very uh, constricting to athletic 
uh, events, you could tell easily who was, and they were always males, you know, so you could tell who was Jewish and who was not. Because you, you know, some, you could tell. You don't you have to tell. go into that. Yeah, you we tell. can just tell. Yeah. Right, right. And so there were Jews who would do there who would do certain practices to unhinder themselves from circumcision, to sort of get rid of it uh, in a way. Um, and there are ways to do that, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> okay. We're not going to get into that. But but Paul's addressing that idea of you know there are those who try to. You know, reverse, reverse, and come out of you know God's ways into the world's ways, and and Israel was very much battling this, like you were just talking about, with the internal uh, divide. You have you know you know the Hasmoneans and the and the, the Hasidim on one side who are trying to be obedient to God and to Israel to to the Torah, and then you have these others who are even going so far as to become uncircumcised in a literal sense, so that way they fit in with the Greek culture, the, the, the philosophy, and the sports that are being uh, pushed um, upon right. them. And th- this one of the dangers that we run across in our our walking with God in culture. What, sports? Uh, no, the this, this assimilation idea, this, this blending. For instance, uh, and we're talking about Hanukkah right now, which is the Feast of Dedication. It's the Feast of, of celebrating the renewal and restoration of the Temple. It's the Feast of, of standing up against the uh, Seleucid Empire and the Hellenized Jews and, and doing all that. And, and it, what the danger is that in our celebration of those things, we don't actually incorporate things that then assimilate to the modern yeah. cultural things that go with that like the hanukkah bush yeah um yeah but i think the um and and, and i agree with you know rabbi uh, jonathan with with uh, the the cultural things that were no doubt being pushed on them even worse and, and i'm sure you were probably going to get to that but even worse was you know they were trying to make them eat pig's meat and they were mm-hmm. it, it was beyond just like hey come to the gymnasium and run around and yeah. play our games it was everything that your god said you're not going to do anymore and that, yeah. I think, but the stuff that's the, what we've been talking about yeah. is this we're standing up for is we celebrate that the Jewish people during this time with the Maccabees stood up for stood up for God and stood up for God's ways. And, and but that gets lost in the candle lighting and the dreidels. And I don't think Yeshua was walking around uh, Solomon's colonnade. To light candles and spend dreidels, I think he was there to honor people like the woman and her seven sons who were martyred because they refused. I mean, she watched her seven sons die. That's in Second Maccabee seven. Yeah, she watched her kids die in front of her and said, "You know who God is, and you know what the what the Torah says, and you you know don't you bow down to this." You know. Now I, I want to this you know the the podcast is intentionally named messy antics uh and so i want to i want to talk about some of the messy antics of the reality that uh jewish believers uh and non-jewish believers with a heart like ruth to align with uh their their fellow brothers and sisters in the lord who happen to be jewish um this is something that we've actually still had to deal with for the last 2000 years or really 1700 years of the body of messiah because whereas rabbi toby was saying it wasn't just that the seleucid empire was trying to force greek culture upon him it wasn't just that they were trying to uh to to do but they were trying to remove every ounce 
of what makes Judaism Judaism, which is their relationship to the Torah, their relationship to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is what, in a lot of ways, the the church has uh, very literally done to the followers of the promised Jewish Messiah in saying, you don't, look, uh, Jesus came to undo the, the law, and we don't have to do any of this stuff, that stuff anymore, so you, don't, you can eat whatever you want. You can have all the pig you want. Eat all right. the pig you want. It'll make you happy. You can yeah, have all the ham sandwich you, you can You can worship on whatever day you want. That Shabbat stuff doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. That Torah stuff doesn't matter anymore. Um, and, and Messianic Judaism, and, and I don't mean to like make messianic judaism in the 21st century uh you know a, a bigger thing than it really is or 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 to try and put some sort of like superhero mentality to it but i think messianic judaism and, and you know we can talk about this but i think messianic judaism in the 21st century is the Hasmonean revolt against the Seleucid Empire within the context yeah, of the body of messiah it's really interesting the in the time of the hasmoneans they were forcing jews to eat pork to prove that they were faithful servants of the of the uh, Seleucid Empire and that they had assimilated into Greek society. What's interesting is now, as a Messianic Jewish believer, I've had people tell me that the only way I could prove that I was walking in the grace of God, that the only way I was actually could prove that I was saved, that I actually believed in Yeshua, was if I would eat pork. That the the it's what was the way to prove you were not serving God and you had made a choice to serve the Greek gods and and and, and become part of Greek society at the threat of death has now been switched to be something that is used to prove that you now aligned with the Messiah of Israel at, at, and the God of Israel. At least they weren't trying to find out by means of those that Paul's disciples had to wrestle. Right, check out the bathhouse to, see if you, <laughs> to check out your liberty, as it says in Galatians. But, oh but it is true that, that there have been people that, like I've gone to speak at churches that invited me to speak, and then afterwards they'd have a meal, and the pastor would say, we, we fixed a, a wonderful meal for you, and aren't you so glad that we can eat pork and stuff now because we're believers? And it was like they were they – were, the demonstration of my faith in Messiah, uh, the Messiah of Israel, the Messiah, the, the, the living word of God who walked and, and lived and died is – Eating the things that the Bible says not to eat, that, right. that, yeah. that the only way I could prove I was set free was to do opposite what God commanded me to do, which is the inverse side of what the Seleucids were, were trying to get uh, the Jews to do in the time of the Maccabees. Yeah, and I've even – I mean we even have – and the, interestingly enough, this is, you know, since we have uh, non-Jews and Jews here on this podcast, that um, some of that rhetoric even exists – for Gentiles in the Messianic world, where I've heard Messianic leaders basically say, and I'm paraphrasing, summarizing, but if you're a Gentile, in order to maintain your Gentile identity within the Messianic movement, feel free to have all the traif that you want, all the unclean foods you want, because you're a Gentile. You don't have to. So for those of us who desire to align ourselves with Israel, to align ourselves with the people of God following the Messiah of Israel, which you know includes eating the way God, you know, set uh, forth to eat. 
it's uh, it's a similar Right. The uh, only way to prove the one new man is the blend of Jew and non-Jew is to establish those roles in such a way. So because you're a Gentile, don't feel like you have to eat That the Gentiles have to eat unkosher in order to be the yin to the yang of the Jewish people in this amalgamated one new man. Uh, of of that, and, and again, we're we're delving a little bit away from Hanukkah, but but it, it's related because Hanukkah is about rededicating to the temple and to the things of God and to His Word as believers, as opposed to assimilating into worldliness and ungodliness. Yeah, and the and, and the ways of the other nations. Yeah, right. right, and and. Uh, and, and and by the way, what I said earlier about you know Yeshua wasn't walking around Solomon's colonnade to spin dreidels. I'm not knocking spinning the spinning the dreidel and stuff because it's actually a really beautiful. It comes from a really beautiful tradition about where the game came from. Yeah, and, that's and, a fun game. And and we should get into that. We should probably get into the accoutrements of Hanukkah. Right. So it, we it, th- yeah. that's a great run in to both the Hanukkah and someone asked me this morning because I posted a picture of a Hanukkah on my Facebook page because I thought. Thought it was pretty, and I said, you know, if you don't have one, here's yeah. one that's it's affordable and nice. And because what would an hour be for you without a post on Facebook? That's right. <laughs> I, I I am I am socially social media. So, but anyhow, the nine branch Hanukkah is the Hanukkah menorah, the, the menorah that's used on Hanukkah, as opposed to the seven branch menorah, which is the temple menorah. And somebody asked me, I can't find a seven branch one to use the rest of the year. Well, the truth is, traditionally, we don't light the seven branch menorah except in some communities on Yom Kippur because the seven-branch menorah is the temple menorah, the tabernacle menorah, and because there's no temple and there's no tabernacle, it's a reminder that someday there'll be a restored temple and we will light that menorah again. Yeah. So, But on Hanukkah, because of the legend of the eight days, where they when they came back to the temple, they cleaned it out, they found, according to the legend, one cruise of oil, that one cruise of oil was only supposed to last for one day, but it miraculously lasted for eight days, so we light the eight-day Hanukkah menorah. And the eight days allowed them to make more oil. Right, right, gave them enough time to produce more pure oil to use in the menorah. And so we look at that, we say, is it a legend? Yes, it's a legend. Could it have happened? Yes, it could have happened. Is it within consistent with what God has done in the past? Yes, God extended the oil in the widow's home mm-hmm. so that it, so it could be true. Is it true? I don't know. But yeah. the reality is the miracle of Hanukkah is not in the oil or the menorah, the right. miracle is in the rededication of the temple and the victory over yes. the army of the Greeks. So the, the miracle we're celebrating is the miracle that God did. Now, the, the eight days help us with a symbol and a symbolic way of entering into that. Uh, whether or not you light the eight-branch menorah or nine-branch menorah, you do any of that, that's up to you. But remember the the Chanuk, the dedication, and then the 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 dreidel we play because the tradition the legend is right. that the Jewish children would be being taught Torah 
which was illegal, and when the Greek soldiers would come, they would hide their books, and they would play games so that when the soldiers came up, they saw them playing games instead of studying Torah, and then when the soldiers left, they would go back to studying Torah. So we played dreidel. It's a four-sided top that says a great miracle happened there if you're outside of Israel. If you're inside of Israel, it stands for a great miracle happened here. But we play the dreidel to remember how important Torah is and that even in the in the uh, threat of death, the children of Israel and the people of Israel studied mm-hmm. Torah. And when the army, the soldiers came to to arrest them or to find them, they would hide their books. They would go play a game, and then they would go back. Now it's a legend, but it's again something that gives us a connection with our people. Uh, is it? Did it happen? Did they play dreidel? Probably never played dreidel. Did they play other games? Probably. They did things so that yeah. they would not well, be caught. It, it even just it's it shows because you know it, it's a game of chance. You know that you're putting in. You know usually people put in like chocolate, the chocolate coins. Uh, the guilt. guilt, you know, into the pot, and but not guilt, guilt, guilt. Yeah. Right, yeah, they were taking they were taking a chance in studying Torah in right. opposition, you know, in, in direct and in a yeah. direct affront to the ruling uh, powers uh, of the land. They were, you know, uh, taking the time to uh, whether they were studying directly from a scroll or were memorizing and and uh, telling, you know, talking about passages in the Torah um, to one another as children. Yeah, I, I just and I and, and again and that just. What I said earlier about, you know, oh, spinning dreidels and, and lighting the – I do that. You know, my kids do that. I just, you know, don't want that to be all people, you know, think about when they think of Hanukkah. It's the, the deeper importance of the rededication, the fact that the adversary attempted once again to destroy the Jewish people yeah. who are the greatest testimony of God's faithfulness. Yeah, we won. And, let's eat. Right. It's exactly. It's so important because that's the thing, and and right. and and it, it, and people died, yeah. you know, and and that's who I think you sh- and that's what I think Yeshua was honoring. Right. And getting back to what Rabbi David said a little earlier, I believe that the Messianic Jewish movement, which again, when we say Messianic Jewish movement, we are including the non-Jewish people who are walking aside in covenant with us, is a end time restoration rededication movement that's bringing people out of both the traditional Judaism that denies Yeshua as the Messiah, the church that denies much of Judaism, and the ways of this secular world which denies God in its entirety and brings Jew and non-Jew into a unity of rededication to uh, Yeshua to God, to the Torah, to the things of God, to the to the Bible, and so as we're seeing this happen over the last, you know, since the the 60s in the United States, earlier the beginning of it, but in a, in a major way in the 60s, uh, we see this this rebirth of a modern Messianic Jewish movement. Uh, it in very it very much is a Maccabean type. Uh, battle in the spiritual and in the physical in some ways to restore the things of God. And when we do those things, we have to remember that uh, that we can't let the pendulum swing so far past the restoration that we undo what it is we're trying to do. In other words, as Rabbi Toby said, it's fine to play dreidel. It's fine to light the Hanukkah. It's fine to do those things, but don't do them at the expense of what the holiday is really about to where you lose the holiday 
in the contrivances. Yeah, I want to. I want to add one thing to the discussion of the Hanukki as well, um, and why the Hanukki is such a central focus of Hanukkah. Uh, you know, for instance, you you would see T-shirts or you would see memes or you would see whatever a, a, about Hanukkah, and it's always got a, a Hanukki, a Hanukkah menorah on it, right? Um, and and the reason for that is yes, it's connected to the legend of the oil lasting for eight nights, uh, which realistically is only discussed in the Talmud. We don't really see anywhere else about that. Whether or not it happened, I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't have such a hard time believing that it could happen because right. we see similar things occurring in the scriptures. For Absolutely. instance, Elijah with the lady uh, who uh, her husband died, her and her kid were left with nothing, and uh, he had left her with a great amount of debt, and uh, she had a little bit of oil left. And he said, gather all these containers up and just start pouring the oil into the containers and, uh, and, and go as long as you can, and filled up all these and was able to sell it and pay everything that she had, all the debt her husband left behind, pay it all off and, and have still for her and her kid uh, to live off of. So I don't have such a hard time believing that the miracle of the oil could have happened, and it fits in the narrative really well because the the relighting of the menorah. What, what people don't understand is that that menorah in the the temple is a necessary part of the temple practice because it had to stay lit all the time. It was it was uh, fresh oil was added to it every day. The wicks were changed out every day. The light was it had to be continually burning, and and the reason for it was because it was in the inner courts. It lit the way to the holy of holies. It showed us the path to the presence of God. And so the reason the Hanukkah is such a central focus of Hanukkah, of the Hanukkah celebration today within Judaism, is because of the reality that what we're celebrating and commemorating is this victory in war against an enemy. But in Judaism, we generally don't like to celebrate war. We generally don't like to uh, uh, focus on war as something that we relish and we, we, we take joy in or anything like that. So even though we recognize that we're celebrating this miraculous victory, the Hanukkah gives us a way to celebrate the victory uh, of the war without focusing on the war itself, because war means death. War yeah, which, means coming across it, uh, dead bodies and being made unclean. War means all of these horrendous things. We don't want to glorify the war. We want to glorify the miraculous victory that God provided. Right. Yeah, it goes hand in hand with you know when the Israelites were brought out of Egypt. You know, God told them, "Don't you're not to rejoice over the deaths of." You know these people that were right. know, killed and, in the in the. And in the it's Red important sea. to remember that the Hanukkah, the the menorah, rather the temple menorah, was in the holy place, which was a closed room. Yeah. And the only way there was light in that room was if the menorah was lit. And so when we think about you know. Uh, my people are in darkness and there was a great light. When we think Yeshua said, I am the light of the world, when we see these things that connect us with let there be light and the fact that at the very end of the book of Revelation, it says there, we in heaven, in the world to come, we won't need light because Yeshua is the light. Yeah. And we see this connection that, that is only through the light of God, the light of Messiah, that we can see the table of showbread, that we can participate in the altar of incense, that we can do these things, it puts it in context of why the menorah, the Hanukkah lighting, uh, reminds us of the light that God shined that outshone the darkness and brought victory to us. So so it fits with our belief system, with what we hold on to, yeah. even if the legend isn't fully accurate, and it may be, we don't know. Nobody really knows yeah. if the legend came to being. 
But we do know that they rededicated the temple and that part of that would have been lighting the menorah and that that light drove away darkness. Yeah, and that the the, the oil and not running out of the oil fits within God's character. And actually, about this time of year in the winter, you know, late December, January, I like to read uh, one of my favorite books to read is uh, The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom, uh, where they survived uh, going through uh, Ravensbrück, one of the concentration camps in Germany. And... Um, they had a. They were given. A, they found. They came across a little bottle of vitamins. Her and her sister, and it, like like a droplet of vitamins, liquid vitamins. And it was, you know, they were praying that it wouldn't run out because uh, her sister Betsy was, you know, incredibly sick, and many of the ladies in their dorms in this concentration camp were also sick. And so they were giving them. They were. She continued to dole out these vitamins and just prayed, you know, Lord, you know, let, let don't let this run out. And that, and she, and she writes about it in her book that that bottle continued to give vitamins long after it should have ran out of yeah. the liquid vitamins. And I'm like, you know, what? It, you no, know, so even today, you know, contemporary testimony to God's, mm. you know, mm-hmm. giving where there is none, you know, or where there, or where we think there should be none, God continues to give. Um, I want to uh, ask a question, uh, spe- particularly to uh, Rabbi Eric and Rabbi David, because you know. Rabbi Jonathan and I are the newer rabbis. Um, I'm just curious because I want to ask about John chapter 10. You know, this is where Hanukkah is mentioned uh, in the New Testament, and it doesn't say much about what Yeshua is doing in relation to Hanukkah. It just says that he's walking around Solomon's colonnade. Now, have either of you ever taught on that and the significance and why, you know, obviously everything in the Bible is mentioned on purpose. It made a point to mention, and the reason why most Christians miss it is because it says dedications. And most Christians don't know that, I, I, I would say, I don't want to say most, that's painting with a wide brush, but I think a lot of Christians miss that it's Hanukkah because it says dedications in most Bibles. Um, yeah, the the reality is we don't know exactly what they were doing for Hanukkah at that time. We're not we're not given a lot of information. What we do know is that the Bible doesn't have anything in it that's not of purpose. Uh, you know, the Scripture says that if all the works of Yeshua could be written, the books of the world wouldn't contain it. So, if our Bible contains a reference to something, that means it's of importance for us to know, to recognize, to contemplate. And to understand, and it says he was in the temple during the Feast of Dedication. So how they were celebrating isn't as important as the fact that they marked it as a day of commemoration and celebration. And he was participating. And he was there participating in it at that time. So so we can do all kinds of things as far as beyond that, but the reality is that that, um, it, it tells us that there was at least a commemoration of it. Yeah. Now I want to. Uh, uh, did that answer the question? Yeah, I just, yeah. But, well, I just want to hear what you guys had to yeah. say because obviously I believe he was celebrating it too, and I just think it's significant for yeah. for listeners to hear yeah. that you and, know Yeshua was. And he specifically says, "Do as I do." Yeah, you know, do what live like I live. So I want to I want to shift things just a second because I want to talk about the uh, the value that Hanukkah has 
for Messianic Judaism and in particular for sharing the good news of Messiah Yeshua, right? Because one of the things we read about in, uh, you know, one of the, the biggest images of Hanukkah, obviously, is the Hanukkah, but, yeah. but it's more specifically the light that comes forth from the Hanukkah, right? So when we light our, our, our Hanukkah each year, we light it preferably in dark. You know, you turn the lights down so you can really see the light shining off of it. You start with one candle in the shamash or the serving candle, and by the end of Hanukkah, you've now lit eight candles full on the, the, the Hanukkah uh, plus the, the shamash, the nine candles total, and you've got this beautiful radiant light that's coming off of it, and it just overtakes everything, right? And so when we read through the scriptures, especially through the Basel, what we see so often is this description of Yeshua being the light of the world, right? That the light has come in the world, the light, the, the darkness cannot overcome the light, that if Yeshua is in you, then the light of Messiah is within you, and that we are to carry the light of Messiah. The, uh, Isaiah talks about being a light to the nations over and over again. We see this imagery of light so heavily discussed uh, within Scripture, and I think, you know, with, within Messianic Judaism, as, as I grew up in, because, you know, I've grown up in this pretty much my whole life, within Messianic Judaism, as I've grown up in, I have watched for years and been guilty of participating in for years the fact that uh, most of, of Messianic Judaism looks at things like Pesach and the High Holy Days as outreach opportunities, uh, which are highly religious uh, experiences. But most of the Jewish world, uh, especially here in the West, but most of the Jewish world wants nothing to do with no connectivity to the religious observance of Judaism uh, at all. They're cool with the cultural observance, cultural expressions, cultural celebrations of Judaism, but they don't want connection to the religious side of it. And so when we're talking about trying to use Pesach and the High Holy Days as uh, uh, outreach methods, as outreach opportunities, we're, we're talking to an empty crowd as far as that goes because they don't want to come to that anyways. But Hanukkah presents a really unique opportunity for Messianic Jewish congregations to very literally take the light of Messiah, the light of dedication, this light of rededication out to the Jewish world in a very real sense. You know, Chabad, uh, the Chabad Lubavitch movement does uh, these huge public menorah lightings every year uh, and uh, all over the place. And uh, at our congregation at Mayim Chaim uh, a few years back, maybe four or five years ago, we started doing these big public menorah lightings ourselves because we had this realization Chabad does it and they do a good job with it. They invest good money in it. They, you know, whatever. But the reality is, is we could do it and we could do it better if for no other reason than we actually have the true light of dedication to share. And so we do this huge public menorah lighting. We have a, a, a tremendous crowd that comes out and typically speaking about half of those that come out are non-believing Jewish families that come out because they're just excited. Something culturally Jewish is happening in the area. They don't even care that we're messianic, <laughs> yeah. right? They don't. And, and because it's our event, you know, if, if I go to support Chabad uh, menorah lightings, which I do, if I go to support Chabad menorah lightings, uh, their, their Hanukkah lightings, I don't go there wearing Jesus made me kosher t-shirt. I don't go there trying to pass out tracts. I don't go there to. I don't go there <laughs> to to try and. I don't go there to try and 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 witness to people and and stuff. I mean, if a conversation develops organically, that's fine. But I'm not there to try and and Upset, overtake yeah. the event. And 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 I'm there to build relationships and inroads and to support the Jewish community. But at our menorah lighting, guess what? That's ours. We're doing this. It says Congregation Mayim Chaim, Messianic Jewish Synagogue. There's nobody can confuse what we're doing or, or where we are or who's doing this. And you can we, have the Jesus makes you kosher. Exactly. We can wear <laughs> Jesus makes me kosher shirts with menorahs on. No, I'm just joking. No. We can. 
But we have the opportunity to be very bold in our uh, faith, very bold in sharing the light and and explaining the the good news, the gospel with those that are there in a very unique and culturally Jewish experience that non-believing, non-religious Jewish people are more than excited to participate in and to come to, and they have an opportunity to hear the good news. Plus, we have, uh, you know, the other half of the crowd are, are typically people from churches that are like, hey, I want to go see what this is about. I don't know much about Hanukkah, or or what I do know, it looks fun. Let me go participate and see what this is about. Or, or worst case, I get free coffee and, and sufganiot, free jelly donuts. Let me go get yeah, some of that. Yeah. But the, the reality is, is we have the opportunity to share with the Jewish community about the promised Jewish Messiah, who is the true light of dedication, who everything Hanukkah is about was pointing us to prophetically. Yep. Um, and we have the opportunity to share with the, the those from the church that come out about the Jewish roots of their faith. And I make it a point at our menorah lighting every year, uh, partially just to rifle feathers because, you know, that's what I like to do. But uh, I make it a point to say, hey, guys, listen, for you who are, are Christians that are here uh, joining us in the celebration, just remember how important Hanukkah is for you, even though it's not culturally your holiday uh but the reality is is without hanukkah you would have never had christmas and yeshua himself observed hanukkah celebrated hanukkah and whatever that looked like in the first century right we read it in the good news it's not there as wasted space it's there for a purpose yeah. and so as followers of yeshua as messianic jewish believers both jew and gentile alike not only is there great value in participating in the celebration observance of hanukkah and remembering the miraculous provision of victory that god provided um and, and even in participating in the legends uh, the the lighting of the hanukkah and the the tradition of the oil and the dreidels and all this all point us to something greater that have messianic implications. We have the opportunity to participate and to be a part of carrying that on door to door from generation to generation uh, and, and, and continuing to share that. And as Rabbi Eric and I just discussed earlier, we are the Maccabean revolt. We are the Hasmonean revolt, bringing a back the the value, the intentional value uh, and understanding of the totality of Scripture for the body of Messiah today, which the Hellenized body of Messiah has very much tried to rob of its Jewish identity, Jewish context, and Jewish culture. And we're restoring that, and we're a revival of that uh, that reality. I like to think of Sufkanyot as being awesomeness yes well being the you know like when you think of bread of life you know a lot of people are like oh yeah you know um unleavened bread i'm like man can you imagine like i think i think sufkin yoda is a better example and I'm, I'm mostly kidding but think about it you know if you've never had a jelly filled donut and you bite into this you know this bread roll and you're like all right it's pretty good it's pretty yeah. good and then you get done and you sink deeper into it and then all of a sudden it's like Boom, jelly donut or custard. And you're like, oh man, this is the stuff right here. This is the the, the bread right. of life. <laughs> right. And very much our faith in Messiah is like that. You know, the yeah. deeper you get into it, the sweeter it actually is. So as we wind up for today, I wanted to. I thought it would be good to close with one of the prayers that said on Hanukkah. And it says, Baruch HaTadonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Shasa Nisim Lavoteinu Bayamim Hachem Bazman Hazeh. 
which is, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, ruler of the universe, who performed wondrous deeds for our ancestors in those ancient days at this season. And so, however you celebrate Hanukkah, however you celebrate the rededication that took place in the time of the Maccabees, don't let it end with the rededication of the time of the Maccabees, but let it be a rededication of your life, of your heart, and remember the miracle, the wondrous deed that God performed through Messiah Yeshua for us when he became the light of the world and when he sent his Ruach so that we could be born again and we could be rededicated to God. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you'll tune into our next episode and share this with others. And if you have any questions you'd like to ask us to do in a follow-up episode, please uh, just text in the comment bar or email us uh, through our uh, Facebook page. Thank you for listening to the Messy Antics podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at Messy Antics Podcast.